Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. My name is Matt Kerber. I'm a pastor here at City Reformed. Our children are being dismissed for Children's Church. We're working through a book of the Bible, uh, the letter of James to a church in exile, a church uh, probably dispersed outside of Jerusalem that James, one of the early leaders of the church, had written to them. Uh, We've said throughout that uh, there's several themes that are reoccurring through the letter. James talks about the importance of our speech, how we care for others in need, and the dangers of being influenced by the patterns of human thought in the world around us. As we've moved through the letter, I argued the last couple of weeks that I I think we see the, the central theme of James emerging as he calls his people to be humble before God and to find the power of God poured out as we seek him in humility. I use the analogy that in many ways it seemed as if we were climbing a mountain and having reached the, the, the summit of the letter, we could see more, more clearly what the letter was about. Well, if that's the case, I, and the, the structure of James is not always the most clear, uh, this is what I think is happening, but if that's the case, the analogy could continue that we are in a sense going back down the mountain now. And as we do it, we encounter things that we've seen before. So many of these themes I mentioned to you are, are going to be themes we encounter now again. And, and you'll have a sense over the next couple of weeks as we move towards Easter and finish out the book of James, you'll think, you know, I think James has already talked about that before. But now he does it perhaps with clearer vision and we see new themes of humility infused in everything that's going on. James is uh, returning to those things that he thinks are important for the church to hear and to think about. And so we return again this week to a a theme of how we talk and how we judge others around us. The passage is a short one. I won't read the section in italics that was from last week, but I'll pick up with last week's final verse, verse 10, and then read verses 11 and 12. James chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. James asks a a haunting question, who are you to judge your neighbor? It's the question I, I want to have before us today as we think about it. As I mentioned before, this is a theme that has already been worked on in the book of James. He addressed judging pretty extensively in chapter 2, warned against a community of judgment where we render judgment quickly, valuing people for what we think they would offer us. He told the story of a a hypothetical situation where someone with great financial resources comes into a meeting of the church and someone with very few resources comes in. He says, if you treat them differently, you have become judges with evil hearts. Instead, he says, we are to live under the royal law of Scripture where we love our neighbor as ourselves, not seeking to draw from them, but seeking to love and to serve. It was a theme he hit strongly and firmly earlier in the letter, and here he returns to it again. 
I have to admit, there was a little time this past week where I thought, you know, I feel like we've already talked about this. Maybe we should have just stuck this portion along with something else. We could have flown over it quickly and just said, oh, James already discussed this, let's move on. But it occurs to me as I look at it that James does this for a reason. He returns to an earlier theme for a reason. I believe he does it because he thinks it's important. And just a a quick pause reflecting on this theme shows us that it's one that is actually fairly well represented throughout Scripture. It's not really a side note, but a a larger theme than we often give it credit for. In the, the most famous sermon in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount, probably a representative sermon that Jesus gave in many places and many times, he famously warned against judging, saying, judge not lest you be judged. The Apostle Paul addressed this in great detail as he moved through the book of 1 Corinthians, thinking in an entire, uh, much of uh, one of his chapters, about the difficulty we have to render judgment on the works of others because we don't really know till the end what God is doing. The theme of judging and the warning against having a, 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 we might say, a judgmental spirit is found throughout the Bible. I think the reason is that All people are prone to being judgmental. It's a problem in the wider culture today. But I think it's true that Christians have particular temptations when it comes to judging. There's an old saying that uh, goes like this, if you have a, a really good hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think when it comes to judging, we have a really good tool for judgment. God is told us that he has a standard for how we ought to live. He has revealed things in his word. We have the word of God telling us how we ought to live, calling us to be holy, calling some behavior right and other behavior wrong. So to extend the hammer analogy, we might say when you have a really good ruler, everything looks like it should be measured. To be a Christian is to be a people who've received a very good ruler. It's God's divine ruler showing us what humans ought to be. The word of God, the law of God, the revelation of God showing us who we ought to be is given to the church. This tool is meant to lead us to Christ to find mercy and health and life. But it can very easily be a tool that we use to the destruction of our community. My experience over the last uh, 13 plus years of City Reformed has been that it's a congregation that's been uh, exceptionally gracious to me. And yet, it's a place where we continue to wrestle with with these things, don't we? A spirit of judgmentalism is is an approach to life, to spirituality, that can begin to shape any community. And if we're not constantly on guard, we can begin to find it overshadows what we do. We begin to live mostly under uh, under under the shadow of law and judgment rather than mercy and grace. Well, the resolution to these things is not particularly easy. There's some challenges as we think about it. After all, God does call us to live differently. He calls us to uphold truth and to think carefully about what is right and wrong. How do we do that in the spirit of mercy? How do we do that while listening to the warnings that James gives to us? I'd like to do three things today. Again, we have a short passage. I think we get to explore it in great detail. 
Um, The first thing is we just pause for a moment and think about some of the other ways the Bible talks about judging. We'll make sure we put this in the right context. Um, Secondly, we'll see the particular concern that James seems to have here. What is the thing he's warning us about? And third, we'll discuss together how do we apply this to our lives? How do we seek uh, to live differently and wrestle with this in our lives? So uh, first and foremost, what are the various things the Bible says about judging? Uh, Judging is not a simple topic. Uh, There have been many simple solutions, we might say simplistic solutions, but they usually fail. What, What people deeply long for is a sense of place where they can be known and accepted. And yet finding this can be difficult. There are many ways that uh, we've tried to do it over the years. Many ways in which we've tried to have sort of a simple answer to this question. How do we uphold truth and find grace and mercy? I became a Christian towards the, uh, the middle of the end of the ni- 1990s. And during that time in American culture there was a tremendous emphasis on not judging those of you who are my age or older will remember this. Um, uh, ma- many times we would be told in public discourse that the most important thing is that we not judge other people. It's a great matter of emphasis. We talk about how important it is that we recognize that no one particular claim on truth is better than any other. The emphasis of the culture in, of America at that time, and, and pretty widespread in, in influence, was one that said all claims are really relative to your cultural moment and your personal experience. So if you attempt to tell someone else they're wrong, what you're doing is, is really harmful. Now, I think the reason why that was attractive to a lot of people is we all hate to be judged. And the approach was to say, well, if we just do away with the standards altogether, then we won't judge each other and everything will be fine. Now, as you may have noticed, uh, there have been rapid changes in our culture, and that's generally not the type of thing that we're hearing as much today. Martin Luther, the reformer, uh, from the early part of the Reformation, said the world is like a drunken peasant trying to ride a horse. It's always falling off on one way or the other. It gets up on one side and falls down, it gets up on the other side and falls down. Well, he was talking about the reality of human nature. We often tend to pendulum and swing from one thing to another. And so if in the 1990s and following, there was such a huge emphasis on not judging, on not having anything that was true, any claim that could be applied to all people, I think we can say that our culture has swung very much the opposite direction today. We live in a, a time where judging is quite a big deal. Most of our news headlines that we read are headlines of one public figure judging another public figure. We love TV shows in which the judges rule on who sings or performs or does the greatest act in the world. In many ways, American culture is a culture of extreme judgment. We've swung the opposite way. And again, there are some good reasons that uh, people would do these things. We realize that Uh, Not judging anyone wasn't any way to have a community because people hurt each other. They harm each other. Unless we're able to speak about what is wrong, we can't actually live together in a way that is true and just and flourishing. How how do we hold those things together? I just want to turn our attention back to the church. How, as a church, do we live in a way where we uphold truth and affirm standards and yet not be 
a judgmental people. Well, there are, in the Bible, uh, many things that remind us that we're required to think, to have judgments, and to, to have standards and values. Uh, for instance, uh, throughout the Bible, uh, we're, we're not told that we never judge, but we're told that we should be a people who judge rightly. We see this uh, in many places. For instance, the prophet Amos tells us something is a common type of thing the Old Testament might say. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. Well, all of those things require uh, making judgments, thinking about things and making rulings. This is evil, this is good, this is what we ought to do. In John chapter 7, Jesus warns against the wrong type of judging, but he commands a right type of judging. He said this, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. It clearly, James is not suggesting when he warns us not to judge that we never make judgments at all. Rather, he's speaking about how we sit in judgment over other people. We're going to have to think more carefully about what he's saying. In fact, many places in the book of James have been a place where James himself is making judgments about people. If you look back at the section in italics that we read last week, James spoke to these people and called them sinners and called them double-minded. He also summarized them in verse 4 by saying they were an adulterous people. Now this is, again, classic sort of prophetic language in the Hebrew tradition. This would have been familiar. This is how God's prophets and leaders would, would often speak to the people, calling them to change, calling them to conform to God's standard. But we should notice, as we see this in context, that James himself is doing some judging. Right? And we hear, who are you to judge people? Right? And we read that and we think, well, James, that's getting a little judge, judgy there. Some strong language. The first thing we're noticing is that, uh, again, saying the thing James warns us about clearly can't mean that we have no standards, no truth, and no call to think critically about the world around us. And secondly, the Bible also tells us that there are people who are called to be judges. And clearly James is not intending to rule this out. And first and foremost, in our civil society, There are judges that are established, we are told, under God's sovereignty to have an important role in enforcing justice. So when James asks asks the question, who are you to judge your neighbor? Clearly, he's not thinking of someone who is a judge. You imagine that you were uh, elected by the people in your community to serve as a judge on the court, and on the day that you were about to to come in and take your place, you were going to swear your oath of office, but that morning in your devotions, you happened to read James chapter 4, and you stood before the people thinking, you know, who am I to judge you? Can you imagine if you went in the courtroom and the judge said, you know, glad you're here today, but I'm... I've been reading James, and and I've decided, you know, who am I to do anything here? The the answer is, well, no, you are a judge. There is an office and a position, and one of the ways in which we have a cohesive society is by giving that responsibility to a person who thinks carefully about it in a limited and controlled way. That's not what James is talking about at all. There are many other functions we do this as well. We all know that as parents, you have the role of judging You should judge with justice and mercy and equity. But sometimes as parents, there can be this sort of false humility that says, you know, who am I to make judgments about my children? And the answer is you're the parent. It's your job. 
Now, you do it with justice and equity and kindness towards the good of your children, but you can't be a parent without making judgments all the time. Exhausting judgments <laughs> all the time. <laughs> James isn't, clearly is not talking about that. And the Bible tells us there's a role in the church. There is a role for leaders to be judges. Even Jesus, who said, judge not lest you be judged, says when your brother sins against you, Matthew 18, go to him and speak to him. And then if that doesn't work, bring someone else. And if that doesn't work, go to the church. We would take that to be the church leaders, and they may need to render a judgment. There's a place for that. The Apostle Paul, who in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, warns against judging the totality of someone's works in chapter 5 of the same book, says, you are called to be judges in the church in a certain sense. So we, we hold these exceptions. We, we recognize that what James is talking about here doesn't rule out a position, and it, it doesn't rule out the need to make judgments. In some ways, it makes it harder for us, right? It's a little more complicated, it's all the more important we think it through. So what is James concerned about? Second point, what is James telling us about? Let's look at this particular thing and, and see what it is he was so concerned about. We don't just take the word judging and swing it around and, and not think about the context. Uh, James tells us a couple things. We'll look at them here. First of all, he warns against speaking evil against your brothers. When James thinks of judging, he, he puts it in the context of what he's already talked about. How do you speak? You remember James said, unless you bridle your tongue, your, your religion is worthless. James believes a properly controlled speech is an essential part of being a healthy Christian. And for James, this process of speaking evil against others is something that's deeply destructive to community. And we want to pause for a moment and think here that uh, this, this word can be translated different ways. We think about it different ways. Sometimes we think about the topic of slander is what James is referring to. And certainly that's something he wouldn't like. But when we use the word slander, we usually think about a false lying statement that hurts someone. That's actually not this context. That's a wrong thing too. But when James speaks evil, talks about speaking evil against the brother, we have every reason to assume that the evil could actually be true. We, we could know something that's actually bad or wrong. We could see accurately the sin of someone else. I think what James is warning us about here is the way in which we speak about someone, even when that thing may be true. We may not know for sure. We probably don't see the big picture. But James warns against a pattern of speech that brings people down and harms them. The second thing we notice as we move to the next section is a contrast between being a doer of the law and being a judge. This is a sort of a challenging uh, phrase that uh, James uses here. He says in, in, in uh, second part of verse 11, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. What we draw out of this is a contrast. James says there's two postures we can have towards people. One is we hear the law, we are under it, and we do it. And the second is that we become judges who look down on the law and on other people. Now, what, what was uh, James thinking of when he talked about being a doer of the law? We may remember earlier in James chapter 2, James summarized the law by saying the royal law, 
The summary of the scripture is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. This is a similar way that Jesus interpreted the law of God. So if you ask James, what does it mean to be a doer of the law? What he chose to emphasize before is that you would love your neighbor. And we also think that that's probably what James has in mind because you notice in verse 12 he uses the word neighbor. Who are you to judge your neighbor? The contrast James here is is drawing is to say you have two positions relative to those around you. You can love them or you can judge them. James loves to make it stark that way. We know our life is often more tangled and complicated, but he presses it home that we can learn something. Which is it going to be? Are you going to love or are you going to judge? He does a second move there that's not obvious to us at first, but he says when you judge your neighbor, you're actually judging the law. And we think that this is probably what he means. This is uh, scholars wrestle with it, but there's a bit of a consensus. If James is thinking of the law as a command to love your neighbor, when you instead judge them, you're saying, I don't need to be loving my neighbor. I'll be the one who decides. He, he raises the stakes. He says, not only are you putting yourself above your neighbor, but when you've decided you don't need to love them anymore, you're putting yourself above the law. It seems to be the argument that he's making here. Let's pause and think about it for just a second. Are you a doer of the law or are you a judge? Very practically, as we live together in community with other people and families and church and our workplace and our communities, we will encounter people doing things wrong. We have a standard that tells us this is right and this is wrong. God has a standard that he's given to us. What do we do when we see someone else sinning? Well, the Bible tells us we have a couple of options. And hopefully our, our first is to pray for them. It would be an example of loving them in their sin. We could be a doer of the law and say, I'm going I'm to pray. God has chosen to show me something about my neighbor, one of their faults. And if he's done that, he's calling me to pray for them. The Bible also tells us something else. It tells us that we can speak truth to them in love. That if our desire is to build them up, we can use words that might gently show them their sin. At the end of James, he tells us something. Looking forward, we'll see this in a couple of weeks. He says, whoever restores someone who falls does a good thing. In other words, James tells us love can lead us to speak about hard things. It's very different than speaking against them or about them. One, one pastor I was uh, reading this week who talked about this t- uh, subject said, I often try to remind my congregation that often our choice is will we speak to people or will we speak about them? We could add in there, will you speak to God about them, pray for them? It, it, usually we substitute one or the other, don't we? When we see something that's wrong, we think that's wrong and, and maybe God's put us in a position to see it. But when we go from there to saying, now I have judged them, I understand it all, I will render a verdict and use my words against them to put them in their place or to bring them down, we have become a judge in the sense that so deeply concerns James. So what's the alternative? Loving our neighbor, being a doer of the law, loving, praying for our neighbors and speaking to them in ways and times that are appropriate. And that, friends, is the, the world of Christian wisdom that we learn how to do those things. 
The, the final thing that James tells us in this passage is he contrasts the position of God as ultimate judge and our role as creatures. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Again, James is not ruling out the possibility that someone might actually be a judge. But if you were a judge, you would be the best judge if you remembered that you were only a human. You would be a better judge if you knew that you couldn't see it all. You might still be in the position very often of needing to render a verdict, make a decision. But if you did that with the humility of coming and knowing there's ultimately one judge and lawgiver who has power. Now, when we give a, a judge in our civil society the, the title of judge, there's honor and respect, and they have power. When they make a ruling, that is enforced by the government of our land. But that power is small and insignificant compared to the power of God. James says there is one judge who sees all things clearly. He knows all things clearly. He, has, he is able to save and to destroy. That is a power none of us can claim for ourselves. What, Paul would, or what James would remind us of here is the importance of seeing ourselves as creatures and not the creator. Exercising judgment in humility when necessary. Remembering that we at best only see part of the story most of the time. Well, how, how do we bring this into our own lives? Finally, third and finally, we think about how we battle our tendencies to judge. How do we, how do we battle against the, uh, our own difficulties? And this is, this is difficult, isn't it? We don't want to fall off the horse on one side or the other. We don't want to be a people that say, well, you know, what's truth? Does it really matter? If someone is being hurt, it does matter, doesn't it? If God's being dishonored, it does matter. And we don't want to be a people who give in to a spirit of judgmentalism, who find that all of our gatherings in our community is characterized by a sense of fear and control stifling oversight. Well, how, how do we seek to do this? Again, I think the Bible talks about it often because it's not easy. But let's try to apply some of the things that James would tell us. First of all, I think what James has been doing in, in this letter is helping us to think clearly about the times and the places where we might struggle with this. If we go back to James chapter 2, he gave a very practical scenario. He said, imagine you're in your gathered church and two people walk in. Do you treat them differently? If you do, you become judges with evil hearts. He's just being very practical. He says, this is what I think we're going to struggle with. I think as we consider the movements of James, it's helpful to, to recognize that we struggle in particular areas ourselves. I want you to think about that for a second. Where, where are you most likely to feel judged? Where are you most likely to judge others? And maybe you wouldn't use those words, would you? You probably don't say, well, I'm judging you now. We might put another cover on it. Where are you tempted to speak harm that hurts someone else? 
This past summer, uh, Chrissy and I were in Bulgaria, and while we were there, we got to know another pastor who was also speaking at this conference, and an older, experienced pastor, and turns out he wrote a book on James. Um, so uh, George Stulak, who's my friend, is also a, uh, a man who wrote a, a wonderful book on James, and as I've moved through this book, um, I've leaned into him more and more. Uh, just a great, great pastoral wisdom. I gave that context because I want, I want to read to you what he says about this topic. I thought it found it very helpful. He says, speaking of his own church, we found judging in James' text to refer to the acts of, act of setting oneself up as a judge and lawgiver as if one had the authority to determine what's right and wrong about another person's life. I observe it to happen in the church today with particular frequency in three areas. Judging the motives behind words or actions in church business. Oh, I know what they really mean. I know their agenda. I heard a little bit, but I can put them in a category and I know where they're coming from. Can you imagine doing that? It's pretty easy. Secondly, judging how others spend money. Third, judging how others are rearing their children. If you're a parent and you felt that before, maybe these fit us, maybe they don't. But that's an example. Maybe our list would be a little different. Maybe it would include a, a number of other areas particular to our own circumstances. But unless we bring this down to our experience, we might not really know how much we're struggling. Each of those places, the motives of others in business, the, the way we spend our money and the things we do, the way we care for our children... Add your own list. Each of them are opportunities to love or to judge, aren't they? To be a doer of the law or to sit in judgment over others, affirming our own goodness, feeling maybe more in control of the situation. Secondly, as we think practically, we remember mercy. How do these themes fit together? Truth, mercy. In Christianity, they hold together most clearly as we consider the cross of Jesus Christ. Earlier in this letter, James reminded us that the call we have is to judge with mercy. Judgment without mercy, he says, will be given to those who judge without mercy. On the cross, God has shown us that together, justice and love are poured out. Poured out in great cost, though. Jesus gave us mercy and grace, not by doing away with the standards, but by suffering in our place for us and taking the weight and the penalty of sin upon himself. Jesus could have stood from the throne room of heaven looking down upon us as judge, and he will one day come as judge, we're told. He could have looked at us clearly and accurately and rendered judgment on each of us with with complete justice and equity, and we would be doomed. But he did not do that. Instead, he entered in. He took the burden of our sin upon himself. He lived and was a doer of the law without fault. But he earned grace and mercy for us by giving himself in our place to take the judgment we deserved. Friends, two stories will captivate your life. It's either the story of your own achievement, in which 
It's easy to judge others. Or the story of God's mercy in which your dealings with others will be governed and guided by mercy. Which story will rule and reign? As we meditate on the cross, we can live in mercy. Third and finally, as we think practically about it, we can dwell on the point that James makes, particularly here in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Tried to carefully give some context for that. A little bit of a disclaimer, recognizing that we do render judgments. They're not all inappropriate. And there are times and places where we do confront sin and think about it and engage and enter in. We know all of that. But one of the guiding principles we can have as we enter into the difficulty of having standards and having grace, one of the guiding principles is simply to return time and again to this simple reality. There is a God, and I'm not Him. In every situation where we're tempted to be a judge over the law rather than a doer of the law, loving our neighbor, in every one of those situations, we can slow ourselves down and say, you know, I actually haven't seen the entirety of the situation. There's a lot I can't know, there's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot that's happening. We, we can choose so often to be gracious and to be merciful and to interpret things differently. It's hard. Unless we are grounded in the mercy and love of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will find it exceedingly hard. But as we return again and again, standing before the great judge of heaven who came to us in mercy and grace, unless we do that, we'll find that we resort time and again to any of these extremes, that we become judges over the law, not doers of the law. Friends, it's my deep desire that we would continue to embrace these things. But I think unless we're intentional, we can't possibly be a congregation of people that are both committed to truth, justice, standards of God and the call of holiness and the mercy and love and compassion that allows us to thrive and flourish as a community. Would you join with, uh, with me in praying that God would guide us in these things?